Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Father, thank you so much for the precious blood that has been shed on our behalf that restores us back into a perfect relationship with you. God, we come into this place today. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts, open our minds. Father, let us see the deeper things of you in simple ways, that we'll be able to apply them in our lives, God, and that we could serve you with everything we have in us, God, because you have done so much for us, and we want to serve you and tell others about this amazing news. And so, Father, I pray this this morning in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Why don't you take a seat? So good to have you in church this morning. And uh, I woke up this morning, I thought, okay, Good Friday. There's not a lot of good about Good Friday, uh, the Good Friday message, is it? It's a fairly horrific um, message with a lot of, uh, I don't want to go into detail while there's so many kids in a room. And I thought to myself, wow, I need to look at my message again to make sure that it's... uh, that it's sort of G-rated because I think um, when you think about uh, the story of Christ on the cross of Calvary, it's really a bit of an R-plus story. But what we're talking about is an accumulation of centuries of God putting a redemptive plan in place. And uh, so we see and what we celebrate today and what we reflect on today is that plan coming to fruition. Jesus on the cross, paying the price for our sin. See, way back in the garden, Adam and Eve had sinned against God. They rebelled against God. They ate from the tree that they weren't allowed to eat from. And uh, they started to uh, understand good and evil and function in evil. And God had been chasing mankind right from that time. And he put all sorts of things in place, like sacrifices and what have you. And uh, we make our way, and, and all of those was just wasn't enough. And so God's major plan was that he would ultimately come to earth and pay the price for our sin. He would become the Lamb of God, pay the price for our sin, and restore us back into a relationship with God. Is that good news? You say amen to that today? It's awesome news, isn't it? And so we've been sort of studying the Gospel of Mark over the last little period of time. And so we're going to continue to do that. And we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 15, verse 21. I just want to read this passage of Scripture and then open up a few thoughts. It says, They came to a man called Simon who was coming from the country of Cyrene. He was the father of Alexander and Rufus. They made Simon carry the cross of Jesus. They led Jesus to a place called Golgotha. That means the place of the skull. They gave him wine with something in it to take away the pain, but he would not drink it. When they had nailed Jesus to the cross, they divided his clothes by drawing names to see what each man should take. It was about nine o'clock in the morning when they nailed him to the cross. Over Jesus' head they put writing and what they had against him. And it said, King of the Jews. They nailed two robbers on the cross, crosses beside Jesus, one on his right and one on his left. And it happened as the holy writings said it would happen. They thought of him as one 
who broke the law. Those who walked by shook their heads and laughed at Jesus. They said, you were the one who could destroy the house of God and build it again in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. The head religious leaders and the teachers of the law made fun of him also. They said to each other, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let Christ, the King of the Jews, come down from the cross. We want to see it and then we will believe. Those who were on the crosses beside Jesus spoke bad things about him too. And from noon until three o'clock, it was dark over all the land. And at three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you left me or why have you forsaken me? And when some of those who stood by that, they said, Listen, he's calling for Elijah. One of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine. He put it on a stick and he gave it to them to drink. And he said, let him alone. Let us see Elijah that would come down and take him. Then Jesus gave a loud cry. He gave up his spirit and he died. And the curtain in the house of God was torn in two from top to bottom. And the captain of the soldiers was looking at Jesus when he cried out. He saw him die and he says, for sure, this is the Son of God. It's interesting with Mark. Mark is not uh, a detailed person. He's probably a little bit like me. I don't know about you, but I'm not a detailed person. I just like to get to the point, say it and get out of the road. And Mark's a bit like that. He's... uh, I'd sort of put him like, you know, has everyone got a crazy uncle or an auntie in the family that just says it as it is? You know, Christmas lunch, destroy the whole meal because, you know, oh, you're too fat, you shouldn't eat this, you're ugly or whatever. We've all got them in the family, haven't we? And Mark's a bit like that. He just wants to, he just wants to tell you how it is and then he's just going to move on to the next point. And that's probably one of the reasons that Mark's gospel is one of the shortest Gospels. But it's interesting, as you read read through Mark's Gospel in regards to the crucifixion, there are some stories in there that aren't in any of the other Gospels, or they're explained more than the other Gospels. And I think for me, when I see situations like that, I need to stop and start to contemplate and dig into what is Mark trying to tell us in this moment? And so I want to share with you this morning just some thoughts around uh, what Mark has included that the other writings don't include. The first thing you'll notice is in verse 33, and it says, From noon until three o'clock it was dark over all the land. At three o'clock Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you left me alone, or why have you forsaken me? So we get this picture of darkness falling over the whole land. I don't know about you, if you're uh, my age or maybe even just a touch younger, but certainly older, you may have remembered uh, years ago, I think I was in my 20s, early 20s, we had a solar eclipse. Anyone remember the solar eclipse? Yeah, a few of us youngies, we remember it, no problem at all. And uh, we had a solar eclipse and uh, for a moment I got to see Uh, In the middle of the day, the earth become dark. And then all of a sudden, the sun sort of 
uh, comes out of the side of the moon and we're back to daylight. It was an amazing experience. But this is going on here for from 12 o'clock in the morning, oh, sorry, from 12 noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Darkness has come over the land. What's Mark wanting us to know about this particular situation? So I think firstly, there's an intensity that is going on on earth and in heaven. This is a very intense moment for Jesus. What he's feeling, what he's suffering, what he's being associated with. You remember that uh, it wasn't just the pain that he was going through, uh, the beatings and the thorns, but there was people shaming him from the crowd and abusing him and all this stuff was sort of going on around him. And God's watching this and darkness comes over because what is actually happening in this moment is that judgment is being dealt with. See, darkness is always in the Bible associated with, with uh, judgment. Remember, we celebrated the Passover a few days ago. And uh, when did God execute judgment in the Passover? During the night. And we know that uh, the firstborn who hadn't played, placed the blood over the doorposts, they lost their firstborn boy. And so judgment in the Old Testament is often, uh, sorry, darkness in the Old Testament is always often associated with judgment. The other thing I noticed out of this is, again, it's a prophetic word that's been spoken in Amos. Amos chapter 8, verse 9. It says, on that day, this day, the crucifixion of Jesus, says the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and I will make the earth dark in daytime. God is dealing, God is judging through his son our sin, our rebellion in the darkness of this particular moment. The second thing that he mentions is Jesus' cry on the cross. And again in verse 34, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you left me alone? And I was thinking about this and there's probably three thoughts that come to my mind that Mark wants us to be able to look at. I think the first one is the expression of pain that Jesus is feeling. The intensity of pain that Jesus is feeling in this particular moment. And why does Mark want us to understand that? Because he wants us to understand the 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 human side of Jesus as well as the divine side of Jesus. Jesus is all man, but he's God. And so Jesus is feeling the pain of the moment through the beatings in the flesh, on his flesh, because he's a man. But we understand what he's doing. He's revealing the, his divinity through this particular moment. The second thing, it's a, again a fulfillment of an Old Testament verse, Psalm 22. And, and Mark is identifying Jesus with this. Psalm 22, verse 1, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? Could you imagine those words? And from the words of my groaning, why are you not helping me? Why? Aren't you responding to the words of my 
groaning. Which leads us, I think, to the third point. It's a theological statement that Mark is trying to make here. It's a statement about the purpose of Jesus' mission and his role in redeeming and restoring us back to the right relationship with God. The third thing is we notice is the mocking of Jesus in verse 29. And it says, Those that walked by shook their heads and laughed at Jesus. They said, You are the one who could destroy the house of God and build it again in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross. And then we find the religious leaders and the teachers of the law coming at him and making fun of him. And they said to each other, he saved others, but he can't even save himself. Why? Simple as this. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Why didn't they believe that Jesus was the Messiah? See, what we miss in the story is that we have an opportunity to look back. And even we read Isaiah 53 and we go, oh yeah, that's Jesus all over it. Because we can look back. And that's what prophetic words are like. We really only understand a prophetic word once it comes into existence and we, need to, and we can look back on it. And so... Jesus finds himself in this position where they're all mocking him because their understanding of a Messiah was not about a saviour. And it's interesting, Mark, through his gospel, he often uses the word Messiah and saviour because they're two different things. The Messiah was meant to be like David. He was meant to come and restore Israel back as a mighty nation. See, their understanding of Messiah was government. Jesus was going to establish a government and take power back and overtake the Romans. And so that's one of the reasons when Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, they're all going, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? He's riding on a donkey. If he's really the Messiah, he should be riding a white stallion. Because that symbolises king and head and whatever. But a donkey? A donkey's just, that's what a rabbi would ride. It's uh, a tradesman. It has to do with peace. Because they've got no idea of what the kingdom is that Jesus is about to bring on earth. And so they mock him. They want to humiliate him. And I think to myself, why, why was it like that? I think it's simply this. Unmet expectations. What they wanted out of Jesus, he didn't meet their expectations. And, you know, often we read stories like this and we think, ah, oh, you know, I lived then, I wouldn't be like that. I would have got it right. I would have seen it. But the fact is we live like that today. Many times we get 
discouraged and disillusioned because of unmet expectations of what we expect God to do for us. And what I've discovered over my journey of walking with God is that he's more interested in giving me what I need rather than what I want. Giving me what I need rather than what I want. Which brings me to the fourth point. The fourth point is the centurion's confession. We find this Roman soldier making this statement. It says, verse 39, the captain of the soldiers uh, was looking at Jesus when he cried out and he saw him die. And he said, for sure, this is the son of God. I'm going to ask the band to come up. What a confession. As I mentioned, everybody else around her apart from Jesus' disciples, and they didn't quite understand what was going on as well, are missing the point. And all of a sudden this Gentile, this Roman soldier, steps up at the end of the story. Mark records him saying, Surely this is the Son of God. Why does Mark do that? I think it's as simple as this. Mark wants the readers of his gospel to understand that even somebody that had participated in this cruel act towards our Saviour understood it and at a moment had an opportunity to be saved. What does the Bible say about how do we have a relationship with Jesus? How do we step into that relationship with God? Believing through faith. This guy has watched Jesus probably all day. We don't know what his active participation in the crucifixion was, but he was close to what was going on. He would have heard every word that was spoken by Jesus and every word that was spoken at Jesus. He would have seen the way that Jesus obediently went as a lamb to the slaughter. Surely this is the Son of God. We're no different than the centurion. No different. We participated in the crucifixion of Jesus because of our sin and our rebellion. And we got to a place, many of us in this room, that said, surely this is the Son of God. And we receive that by faith. And God welcomes us in to the family. In a sense, it's a, a story of triumph mixed in there with all this 
horrible stuff that we did to Jesus. And today on this Good Friday, we stop for a time and we reflect and we centre our attention on what Jesus has done for us. And we, become, we could become quite discouraged if we didn't know the whole story. I remember Tony Campalo saying years ago in his book, yes, maybe Friday, but Sundays are coming. Sundays are coming. And I want to encourage you this week to be in church on Sunday because we're going to celebrate. We're going to have a party for everything that God has done for us. We're going to lift our voices in praise. We're going to do family together. And we're going to be thankful. And we're going to cultivate a heart of gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask Tim to come and lead us in a time of communion. Father, we thank you for the greatest gift that we could ever, 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 ever imagine. The gift of your son. Father, we thank you that you've revealed to us who he is and what he's done for us. And Father, you say, just believe. Receive by faith that. And Father, I pray today that for us that know you, that we would uh, allow that to be a motivation for us to dig deeper into you and to walk more upright with you and to be more passionate about the mission that you've given us. And Father, for those in this room today that maybe have never heard the message of the gospel or Maybe you've just been coming for the last couple of weeks, Father. I pray today that we'd, with the day that your Holy Spirit would bring a challenge in their hearts and they would say, surely this is the Son of God. And so I just pray a blessing right now, Lord, on every person in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Rick. And we're just going to move into a time of communion now. And um, if you're new to church, this is something we, we do as believers in a response to hearing this amazing news. We do this to remember what Jesus has done for us. And I'm just going to read from Luke 22, verses 19 to 20. It says, He took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. He said, Do this in remembrance of me. Remembering what? Remembering me, he said. So when we are tempted to live our own lives, Jesus says, Remember me. When we're overwhelmed with the burdens of life, Jesus says, remember me. He says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Remember me. When you feel rejected in your life and betrayed, remember me. 
for Jesus was portrayed by his friends and the people, his own people that he came to save. Remember me. Remember the sacrifice that he made that you and I may have life and life to all its fullness. Remember that Jesus bore the full judgment of a holy God that was meant for me and meant for you. Remember that mercy that we do not deserve by rebelling against our holy God and good God. Remember mercy. Remember grace that if we turn from our sin and humble ourselves before God, He will clothe us in the righteousness of Christ so that when we stand before Him, we are pure, blameless, and able to come into the warm embrace of our Father. Remember this. Remember me, Jesus says. And remember that you and I are more more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared believed or hoped. Remember that. Remember that key thing that we are in Christ. That's what we do here this morning. I'm going to, in a moment, I'm going to ask you as the band sing this last song to come up and take communion and welcome you to stand here and just worship and spend some time just reflecting on this day. And what we remember today is Good Friday. But before I ask you to come up and do that and the band to sing, I want to, I just want to read a few verses and lines from a song that, um, that I, I really love. It's just come out recently. And it just connects really in what Rick just said there, that Sunday is coming. The song is called Sunday is Coming. And it says this. He says, He knew well that it would take what it would take to free us all from sin and, and grave. A perfect man would have to die. And only he could pay that price. Then he carried that cross to Calvary and he shed his blood to set us free. As the nails went in and the sky went dark, the redemption of the world was in his heart. Then he breathed his last and bowed his head. The Son of God and man was dead. With bloody hands, tears on their face, they laid him down inside that grave. But that wasn't the end. This wasn't the end. That wasn't the end. Let me tell you what happened next. The the women came before the dawn to find that stone already gone, When they looked inside, the angel said, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is alive. He is alive. Hallelujah, he is alive. Give him praise. Lift him high. Hallelujah. He is alive. He is alive. He is alive. Hallelujah. He is alive. Give him praise. Lift him high. Hallelujah. He is alive. Friday's good because Sunday's coming. Don't lose hope because Sunday is coming. Devil, you're done. You better start running. Friday is good because Sunday is coming. Amen? Amen. So let's just do that now. Let's just remember what Jesus has done. Remember me. As we come forward, there's the um, little emblems here to take. So I'll just invite you as the 
as the band sings this next song to do that. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you that this is a good thing that Jesus died because Sunday is coming and you rose from the dead. Hallelujah, you are alive. And we thank you you, for what you have accomplished on the cross. Thank you for the sacrificial and unmerited love that you poured out for us. We do not deserve this. This is pure mercy and grace that you have done this for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you, the divine and all-knowing God, would take your own life, that we may have life and life to all its fullness. Lord, and we pray that if anyone is here today, if this is the first time they are hearing this good news, that they will receive it with an open heart and a humble heart and lay down their lives to you, O God, who their creator, their father in heaven that embraces them with a warm embrace of love because of the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. And we praise you, Jesus, for what you have done and what you have accomplished for us. In Jesus' name, amen.